0: Today we continue our series, our study called Fact Check. Uh, And no, we're not talking about El Chupacabra or Nessie the Loch Ness Monster. Uh, We are talking about fact checking where the Bible is concerned. Now that sounds kind of weird. You don't really have to fact check the Bible if it's truth, right? If it contains no errors, why would we fact check the Bible? Well, because we are comparing what people think it says versus what it actually says. That's where the fact-checking has to be done regarding who God is, how God interacts with his people, uh, with his creation. And today I want to talk to you about a spiritual fact-check moment that I think is one of the most dangerous and yet one of the most common misconceptions both in and out of the American church today. You will hear people talk about this. You will hear it on TV today with TV preachers. You'll read books about it. You will hear it over and over and over again. And it's a message that feels great, guys. That's why it's so popular. And that's why it's easy to embrace this and say, yeah, that's truth, because it feels good. And it goes something like this. God wants you to be happy. God has good things in store for you. God wants you to enjoy your life. God wants to prosper you in every single way. And the bottom line is, God wants you happy. There is a huge danger here. This theology of happiness and the danger is that it elevates us to the point where God is there to serve us rather than the truth, and that is that we are here to serve him. That's the fundamental flaw here. It's very subtle and very seductive, and it's seductive because it feeds our flesh. It makes us feel good. Uh, Our sinful nature, which always desires to feed itself, feels good by this. And you can see this desire even permeating our children's stories. Right? Read any fairy tale, any old story to a kid, you'd always hear it close out with the same famous line, and they all lived. There it is. Why? Because that's how it's always supposed to end, right? Because that's the dream. That's the pursuit. That's the goal everyone lives for and everyone wishes were true. The problem is that is not reality, is it? We don't always live happily ever after. Every story in our lives doesn't end happily ever after. Now, our story will end happily ever after on the other side of this lifetime. But people don't always live in this lifetime happily ever after, they live with reality. We live with reality. We live in a broken, sin-filled world and that reality permeates everything that we experience. And sometimes stories don't have a happy ending. And I think because of that, because of the awareness of the messed up world that we live in, the positive message there that God wants you to be happy, it just feels so good. Because it's contrary to the reality. It just feels right. But feeling right and being right are two very different things. And the problem is people are drawn to the misinformation here. People flock to the spiritual fake news that God wants you to be happy. 2 Timothy 4 says, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. And what I would love, I would love to tell you this this morning that once you come to God, you will have the best year you've ever had. Everything will work out. You will always be happy. Your gas tank will always be full. Your table will always have the best food on it. Your kids will never disobey again. I mean, everything's going to be great. Because God wants you happy. God only has good things in store for you. The problem is, When we believe that God revolves around us, we reduce the holy God of the universe into a cosmic vending machine. What we do is we put our quarters in, we say our little prayer, we press the button choosing what we want, and we expect God to deliver. And if what we pray for doesn't come out of the slot, we blame God because if God wants me happy and I'm not happy then there's something wrong. And obviously the problem doesn't lie with me because I pressed the right button, you know? I did the thing, and it didn't work. And that is the danger of this very subtle and very seductive misconception that God wants you happy. Understand this. If God wants me happy and I'm not, and that's my theology, then God fails. God wants me happy, and I'm not, then God failed. If God really desires for me to be happy, but I'm miserable, then God didn't deliver. God didn't do what I needed him to do to make me happy. So as much as everyone I know wants to believe God wants me happy, and as often as you will hear God wants you happy, God wants you prosperous, as often as you will hear that, today I'm going to share with you three different times when God does not want you happy. So if you're taking notes, the first one is this, and this is very, very true, never forget it. God never, ever, ever, God doesn't want you happy when it causes you to sin. God does not want you happy when it causes you to sin. God never wants us happy in that circumstance. 1 Peter 1, chapter, or verse 15, but now you must be happy in everything you do just as God who chose you is happy. Did I mess that up? think I did what does it say oh that's right I'm sorry I must have misread it Scripture says but now you must be just as God who chose you is you see in God's spiritual economy our happiness is never the bottom line God never calls us to sacrifice his standards in the name of happiness God is far more concerned with your holiness than he is about your happiness God is far more concerned about your holiness than he is about your happiness. And with regard to your happiness, he will sacrifice that in a second if it will contribute to your holiness. To you becoming more like him, more like Jesus, set apart, called out. All of that is entailed in that word holy. And I hope that you won't miss the heart of this because I believe with all my heart that God is a good God. You know, Jesus said, my, my mission, my life mission is to give them life and life to the full, life more abundantly. But notice Jesus didn't say, I want to give them life that's always happy. You can have a very full and abundant and rich life that is filled with moments where we're not happy. Scripture says God is a good God. Scripture says that he loves to give good gifts to his children. And with everything in me, I know that God delights in the happiness of his children, just like I do. I've got seven kids. As the father of seven, I love when I can make my kids happy. I love it. Uh, You know, in fact, when we can and we're we're not building a house, uh, we love to splurge and bless our kids. Unfortunately, it seems like we're always building a house, so it doesn't happen all that much. But one year when they had the huge Labor Day sale, we splurged and bought six flags passes for the next year for the family. And uh, the kids love it there. They love the rides. They love the food. They love the games. They just don't like the lines. So one time we were there, and Eli and I got in line. And we passed, you know, right where you get in line, and it says that sign, it's like you now have 12 hours to wait, you know. Um, Right where you get into line, we passed the end of the line. It's where people are now getting on the ride, and it's just cruel, right? You know, you're getting into the end line, and you can see them right there. It's harsh. So, Eli says to me, Dad, I could just crawl through this and get right in the front of the line. I wouldn't have to wait at all. That's how the kid thinks, and I knew it would make him happy, so I just let him do it. Of course, I didn't do that. Yes, I want Eli happy, but not at the expense of someone else and not at the expense of what is right. It's not the right thing, no matter how much he wants to do it, no matter how happy it will make him. I don't want him happy if it causes him to do something wrong. God doesn't want us happy if it causes us to sin. So how does this play out, let's just say, in the church world? How does this philosophy play out in the church world, in the everyday church world? Here's a few examples. Scripture teaches us that if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a part of the body of Christ. And that means in the local church, God has something for you to do to serve. Every part of the body has its function, Scripture tells us. So you have a place to serve, to use your gift. In other words, if you are not serving, using your gifts in the church, then something that God wants to get done is not being done. But in our American feel-good culture, what do far too many churchgoers say and act like? I don't want to do anything at church. I just want to go when I want to, occasionally. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to serve because I've been busy all week long. This is my time. I just want to go in and get that spiritual pick-me-up and then go on my way. I want to go and just be there. I don't want to serve because it's all about me, and I want to be happy. Now, we are blessed here at Trilogy because I don't think I can identify one person here today who has that attitude. We've got a church full of people who know what it means to roll up their sleeves and be the church, and I love that, and I count that as one of my greatest blessings is that I get to pastor a church where that is true. It's awesome. But you understand that, I mean, even though you guys get it, that you understand life is about God first, you know, other second, self last. Way too many people act the other way. So here's another one. Let's talk about finances. Scripture teaches us that we should be givers, that we're called to be a generous people. We give to others. We give to the church. But what do people say? I'm not going to give that much money. Wait, 10%? Are you kidding me? That's crazy. It's my money. I worked hard for that. I'm not giving that much money to God. I'm going to do something with it myself because I want to be happy. College. Someone is in college. This class is too hard. I don't like college. I quit. That would make me happy. Maybe you're at a job you don't like. What do we see now? I'm not happy in this job. It might not be what God wanted me there, or it might not be that God wanted me there to make a difference in someone else's life, or maybe God was going to do something to my life in an uncomfortable situation, but I'm not happy, so I quit. We eliminate the resistance in our lives to try to make ourselves happy before God has a chance to even make us stronger through it. Marriage. My spouse is not making me happy, so I quit the marriage. Dating world. Boy meets girl. Girl smells good. Boy, he says, hey, God gave me these desires, and I know the Bible says I should wait till I'm married, but we are in love anyway, and this makes us happy, so I don't care what God says. This makes me happy. You see how subtle and dangerous that happiness theology can be? especially when it comes to sin. Let me tell you the conversation I've heard way too many times. We hear it at the gym. We hear it at the office. We hear it when we're binge-watching shows on Netflix. Hey, dude, how's it going? Uh, Much better now. What do you mean? You know, I used to be together with old so-and-so. Oh, you're not married anymore? What happened? Well, we just weren't happy, so we ended it. Oh, man, I'm sorry. Well, are you happy now? Here it is. Yes, I'm happy now. Oh, well, that's good because, here it is, That's all that matters. How many times have we heard that phrase? As long as you're happy, because that's all that matters. That is almost a religion unto itself in our culture today. Church, that's never been all that matters. Ever. Understand, God does not want you to be happy when it causes you to sin. And in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, Paul was making a very powerful argument, and he asked this question. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? He's kind of saying, you know, if God's going to forgive me anyway, and I'm having fun, and this makes me happy, why stop? Shall we continue to sin that grace may increase? He said, no, by no means, under no circumstances do we continue sinning so God can just forgive us. He said, we have already died to that. How can we live in it any longer? As much as we want to believe it's all about our happiness, it is not. Our happiness is never the bottom line in God's spiritual economy. Thought number one, God does not want you happy when it causes you to sin. Here's number two. God doesn't want you happy when it is driven by circumstances. God does not want you happy when it is driven by circumstances. If your happiness is dependent on what is going on around you or what you experience on a daily basis, then something is off. Something is wrong there. Ecclesiastes 7.14, enjoy prosperity while you can. When times are good, enjoy it. Have a blast. Embrace it. But when hard times strike, listen to this. Realize that both come from God. That's a tough truth pill for some people to swallow, isn't it? Hard times can come from God. That for sure doesn't fit the paradigm of God always wants me to be happy, does it? God doesn't want you happy when it is based on happenings. God doesn't want you happy when it is based on happenings. There is something deeper and something richer And that is what Scripture calls joy. Joy is something that is not based on what is going on around, but joy is something based on what is inside. It's a bit like this. In Luke 15, Jesus tells a story about a son. We often refer to him as the prodigal son. And I want you to listen carefully to this because you might recognize yourself in this telling of the story. The younger son had everything you could ever want, much like almost everybody in America does today. And yet he said, Father, I don't like your ways. I don't like your rules. Give me my share of everything. I want to go do what I want to do. I want to go experience what will make me happy, which is what many of us do. God, I want to do what I want to do. And so the son went out, and he partied, and he blew all of his money, and he tried all of these things. He did everything he thought would make him happy. And in his pursuit of happiness, he became completely miserable. And I want you to think about this. In his pursuit of happiness, he became miserable. Does anyone know who this is? Right here. Can anybody identify that person? Huh? No? Okay. Yes, that is correct. This is Jack Ma, the richest man in China, the founder of Alibaba. Alibaba is China's version of Amazon. Jack Ma is worth $37 billion. I mean, he's not, I can buy Twitter rich, okay Uh, But he's doing pretty well for himself. Uh, And he was quoted as saying this, I was happier making $12 a month than I am now. I was happier making $12 a month than I am now, valued at $37 billion. What do we see all around us today? Well, maybe this will make me happy. Maybe this will make me happy. And maybe this will make me happy. And in our pursuit of happiness, so many people we know are the most discontent and most miserable people anywhere. Think about it. Internalize this. Like the prodigal in the pursuit of happiness, most people become miserable. Because it's all about what we want and there is never an end to that journey. God doesn't want you happy when it is based on happenings. There's a deeper gift that God has for you and for me, and that's a gift of joy and contentment that we can see demonstrated very clearly in the life of the Apostle Paul. I want to read you a verse that's fairly well-known, Philippians 4, 12, and 13. But before we read it, let me just remind you of the context within which this verse was written to us. The Apostle Paul was writing this from within a prison cell. He was chained up 24-7 to a Roman soldier, okay? Can't even move freely. And don't forget this. He was awaiting a decision that would tell him whether he would be executed or whether he would be allowed to live. So in other words, life isn't great for Paul right now, okay? He was in prison waiting to hear his fate, and here's what he wrote in Philippians 4. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret. Of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Listen to what Paul is saying. I've had it all. I've lost it all. I've been healthy. I've been hurting. I've been blessed. I've been cursed. But I have a secret, a secret that most people miss I have a joy, and I have a divine contentedness that is not based on what's going on around me. It is based on something internal that no one else can see but me, and that is that I can do everything. I can make it. I can make it through this. I can make it while being locked up in prison. I can make it if they kill me. How? I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength I need. There's something internal that sustains me through it. It is not what is going on around me. God wants you more than happy, church. He wants you to have a joy no matter what is going on on the outside. We all want to believe that God wants you happy, but not always. He doesn't want you happy when it causes you to sin, and he doesn't want you happy when it's based on circumstances. Number three, God doesn't want you happy as much as God wants you blessed. God doesn't want you happy as much as God wants you blessed. I love the Greek word here in the New Testament that is translated as blessed. What this word means is it means supremely blessed. Very literally, it means more than happy. (laughs) God wants you more than happy. That's what blessing is. Do you understand that? If you are pursuing happiness, you are very likely insulting the heart of God because why are you aiming so low? Why are you setting your target down here on happiness when God wants you blessed, more than happy? Why are you settling for something that doesn't last? Why are you pursuing something that is not even possible all the time? It was Jesus who said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. He said, I have overcome the world. God doesn't want you happy as much as he wants you blessed. So who is blessed? Let's talk about that. Psalm 112, blessed are those who fear the Lord and who find great delight in his commands. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord. When did we lose the fear of God in our culture? And I'm not talking about the I'm scared fear, but a reverent fear of a holy God. And I would say even in the church, in some circles we've lost the fear, and the reverence of God. What do we say now? Oh, God is my co-pilot. Jesus, he's my homeboy. What about he's the supreme creator, righteous judge of the universe? He is so holy he cannot even look upon sin. He is so holy that we cannot see him in his purest essence and live that kind of God. And if you ask people today, are you blessed? Here's what you hear. Ah, dude, praise report. God blessed me with a new F-150. Glory to God. Or some version of that. Oh, we are so blessed. We got this house, you know. Or, dude, we're, we're blessed. I got a raise, you know. Okay, who's blessed? Who is more than happy? Let me show you what Jesus said in Matthew 5. Jesus told us who is blessed. It has nothing to do with a new truck, a new house, or a raise at work. Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And let me just pause for a moment because there's some of you. You're hurting. You're mourning. And let me remind you that you are blessed of God in the middle of your mourning. Why? Because you will be comforted. You will know a side of God that many don't know yet as God walks through it with you. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And notice it doesn't say... Here, blessed are those who pursue material things of this world that do not last. No, it says those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? Because they will be filled. They will experience contentment when they pursue God. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now I want you to look at verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Definitely not going to make you happy, church, but you are blessed. So the bad news is God doesn't want you happy all the time. The good news is he wants you more than happy. He wants you blessed. Let me tell you some powerful things about blessings. Sometimes God will bless you with a job where you will make a ton more money, and that's from him. He will bless you with it. And what does he want you to do with that? Chances are he's going to want you to learn to be generous like you've never been before. He's the God who gives wealth. He does. It's not a bad thing. Give more, enjoy more, save more, then give more again. It's from God. God may bless you with healthy children. Enjoy them. It's how he might bless you. God might bless you with conflict-free living for a season where you'll just go without any problems. Enjoy it. Embrace it. But understand this. God may just bless you in another way. Instead of getting the higher-paying job, God may bless you and allow you to lose your job. Why? So you can learn to trust in him like you've never, ever had to before. Or so that you can finally pay attention to your kids that you've been neglecting when you're supposed to be doing something for them. But you were building a career, not a family. Or so that your marriage that has been struggling because you've neglected it can flourish because now you've got to pay attention to it. God could bless you that way. God could bless you with healthy kids or God could bless you with a child with incredibly special needs. And you may experience the love of God through that child in ways that you never ever thought of before. God could bless you with conflict-free living for quite some time, or God could bless you with conflict and trouble and persecution and those who hate you because you love him, and you are still blessed. So as much as I would like to tell you, come to God and everything's going to be okay, if I did that, I would be lying to you, because sometimes that is just not true. But I will tell you this, Psalm 37, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The Hebrew word for delight means to be made soft or pliable. Come to God and be pliable, be moldable, allow him to shape you. Here's what we do not do. We do not go to God for him to serve our desires and make us happy. We go to him as his servant to worship him in spirit and in truth. And as we enjoy him, as we delight in him, what he does is he gives us his desires. And they are no longer our desires, but they are his that he plants deep within us. And as his desires replace our desires, then he loves to give us and fulfill those desires in our lives. How do we get there? Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Put God at the top, not seek happiness, not seek the things that we want, but seek first the kingdom and all of his righteousness, and then these things will be added unto you. So I've got good news. The good news is this. God doesn't always want you happy. Happiness is settling. Happiness is coming in way far behind what God wants for us. He's always got something much, much better for you than happiness. Let's pray. Jesus, I just want to start by asking that we would never pursue what we want, but we would pursue you Above everything in this life, I want to ask you a question this morning that may be hard to answer, but I want you to be just gut level honest with yourself and with God this morning. Are you pursuing happiness more than you are pursuing God? When you're really honest, when I look at my life, I'd have to say that there are more seasons and longer seasons of my life where I'm honestly pursuing the things of this world and what I want and happiness more than I am pursuing God and I want that to change. If you relate and you're really being honest, you say, Pastor, I am. I am off track here, and God, I want you to forgive me. I want to pursue you more than anything else. If that is you this morning, I want you to lift your hand up right now and show God that you mean business. God, I'm getting back on track. Awesome. Guys all over the room, it's awesome. God, I ask that you would forgive every one of us for being so easily distracted And pursuing the selfish things that are temporary and really don't matter to you. Especially in light of eternity. And God, we pray that we would be more focused on you than ever before. That we would put you first. God, the moment we start to drift, bring us back, God. We pray that you would bless us with whatever it takes to keep us close to you. And that's a hard prayer to pray. Because what comes down that road as an answer may not be what we're looking for but God, it will definitely be what we need. God, we want to know you intimately. We want to serve you. We want it to be about you. We want to put you first in every single way. Jesus, we ask that our happiness would never be our priority, but the joy and the blessing that comes from a relationship with you would sustain us, would strengthen us, would drive us forward in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as you prayed this morning, God may show you something that's really missing from your life right now in an area that you need to seek him. And I want you to commit. It could be that you need to read God's word. You haven't been. It could be that you haven't prayed more than bless this food in a long time. And, and, or maybe even a, maybe just selfish prayers. God, I need this. God, give me this. Kind of pulling the handle on the, the prayer slot machine. And you need to devote time to God in prayer. It could be that you don't have a biblical community where you experience God with other people through a neighborhood group, and you need to take a step and commit to that. You might commit to fasting and say, you know, the next seven days I'm going to fast because I'm going to seek God because it's something I haven't done in a long time. When God shows you something, commit. Commit to passionately seeking the one who gave his life for us and put him at the top. So let's pray one more time and then we'll close. God, Help us all to do just that, to put you first, to not seek our own happiness or contentment, but, God, to seek you and all you have for us and to find our contentment in you alone. God, would you go with us now this morning? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.